uh, welcome tonight. Uh, we're just going to be talking about um, we're going to be talking about grief and, and the holidays and, and from b both of our perspectives. My dad's done this, and I'll let you tell them. But he's been doing grief work for over fifty years. Um, myself, only a few years, and it is not easy. Um, so anyway, Dad, why don't you start us off? <laughs> Hey, it's great to be here with you. It's good to have you. It's here. good to be here with it's you. It's good to be here with you. We uh, we started uh, years ago at, at our at Central United Church, doing a service called uh, "When the Holidays Hurt," and um, every uh, once a year, just before Christmas, we would have a service and invite all the folks that we had ministered to, especially who had lost loved ones the previous year, and uh, it became a service that that really did bring some healing to to broken hearts. And it's amazing how you get in touch when you're doing something like that with to try to help other people, how you get in touch with your own your own feelings. And I guess when it comes to talking about grief, David, I, mm -hmm. I, I have to go back uh, in our own family, um, son. It's, uh, it, it all goes back to, to my childhood and uh, to my recovery. And I, I've come to the conclusion that the step four work that I did uh, in working the 12 steps. My step four work was what opened the, um, opened the dam, kind of, so to speak, the, uh, just let all the grief come out mm. that I was hanging on to. I had so much, um, so much baggage mm -hmm. that I didn't know, yeah. that I didn't know I had, yeah. uh, that I was carrying. And, and I look back on, on when I was a kid, when I was growing up, and I one of the saddest times that I can remember as a kid was when I was about um, six or seven years old, watching a program on uh, on TV, uh, and it was called uh, the Loretta Young Show. And of mm. course, you young kids don't uh, remember; you don't know that name. That's, that's a, when you had the crank no, TVs. That's you right. That's when you had to crank it up. It. They were black and white in those days. No color TVs in those days. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the Loretta Young show, and I think I must have been about about seven years old, and I was watching this show, and it's the first really um, sad moment and, and moment that I touched, that touched me with grief, I guess you'd call it, because it was uh, it was a, a moment. I think it was a moment of awareness, right? And so I, I'm watching this show, and what it was about was this family that had adopted this little boy and uh, they they had other they had another child at least one I can't remember too much about it but they had at least one other child but the the other child or children didn't really um, they weren't ready to accept the adopted child and the adopted child didn't really seem to fit mm -hmm. in the family and uh, it was the craziest thing you know I got a I, I just got this sense that I was that child, that I was that adopted mm -hmm. child. And I, I remember I started crying. And uh, I was, uh, and at the same time, as I recall, it was right at around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of sitting around, I think I was in my pajamas, you know, and just kind of relaxing at Christmas time with the family. And I, I ran out to the kitchen. My mom was baking out in the kitchen. And she had her apron on. And I remember I, I ran into her apron. And she hugged me, and I was crying. And she said, what's, what's the matter, Wayne? What's the matter? And I said, um, Mom, I'm adopted. 
I'm adopted, aren't I? And she didn't know what to say. I mm -hmm. took her by surprise. She wasn't expecting this at all. And she said, uh, yes, you are. And then went on to try to, you know, tell me how special that was and everything. Mm -hmm. But I, in my heart, that's, there was a sadness about it that I knew I was that, that kid that for, didn't fit, mm -hmm. that just didn't fit. And I remember the sadness of that. And then as, then as I was uh, growing up, there, was, there were moments, but not that I can remember like that, other than times when I had experienced uh, abuse, you know, uh, growing up, uh, those, were, those were sad and painful times. But then I remember the, the, um, as, I, as I was growing up, um, my, uh, my sister telling me when I was 10 years old, my sister Betty telling me that, uh, that, re that she wasn't really my sister, that she was my mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was one of those times like, you know, another time of awareness and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and no she, she I, we, the reason she was telling me was uh, my, and I, that my mom and dad that had adopted me were really my grandma and grandpa. Mm -hmm. And we were moving from uh, Moose Jaw out to Winnipeg. Uh, my dad worked with the CPR. And uh, so we were moving away and she, she had been drinking. She'd been drinking quite a bit. And she said she didn't want me to go. And that if I wanted to stay um, with her that, that this time in my life that I could. Mm -hmm. And now I, when I think back on it, I think it was more the alcohol talking, but but um, she didn't want me to leave. And so, uh, um, and it, so anyway, this is when I first found out that, that uh, my sister, who I was really close to, mm -hmm. was really my mom. Mm -hmm. And- uh, Boy, That must've been really strange. It, it, it was, yeah. it was really, it was a weird time. And then, then we, we were, going, <laughs> we're going along and, you know, it's like we moved to Winnipeg and uh, then we moved back to Moose Jaw my dad's health was uh, was failing and uh, he retired and we moved back to Moose Jaw and we're back in Moose Jaw and I remember uh, my aunt, my aunt uh, Lois and Betty, my sister, my mom, her name was Betty Lois. Mm -hmm. She was named after our aunt Lois mm -hmm. and Auntie Lois had uh, cancer. And I remember spending so much time up at the hospital mm -hmm. with my my mom, uh, my adopted mom, my grandma, uh, visiting her and with Betty uh, visiting her, and then I remember she died, and I was uh, about I was about 15 years old, and I was going through some stuff then about moving back to Moose Jaw for part of the, that was part of it, but I didn't know what all was going on, but anyway the uh, <laughs> it's so amazing how these things affect you because. Auntie Lois died of cancer, and that really uh, had an impact on on Betty. Mm -hmm. uh, and and as, then just shortly after Auntie Lois died of cancer, Uncle Norm, her partner, Lois's partner, he was going down to California from Moose Jaw driving to go and visit uh, his son down there. Mm -hmm. And he was driving, and sh and he had a heart attack while he was oh, driving. Oh no and ran the car into a bridge abutment and was killed. Mm. 
And this happened, this, all, all this stuff was happening together. Mm-hmm. And again, it was right at Christmas time. So Lois had died. That was really rough on Betty. And then Norm was killed uh, in, this, in this car crash. And it was really hard on Betty. And Betty ended up having um, a, a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then with the alcohol and drugs that she was struggling with, she ended up in the hospital. Uh, uh, she was struggling with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And um, she ended up in the hospital. And, she, well, she got out of the hospital and, and uh, she took an overdose of drugs mm-hmm. and uh, she died. And it just, it, it, like I say, this was all, all these, these deaths that all happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I didn't... Um, we didn't talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about um, the pain, uh, the loss. Um, we didn't talk about it. In our um, background, Celtic background, you know, Scottish, Irish, uh, <laughs> our way of handling things was you have a wake and everybody drinks mm-hmm. and uh, numbs, tries to numb the pain. And rather than talk about it or deal with it, um, that's the way we did it. Mm. And I picked up on that really, really well yeah. in my family. I really, I knew how to do that really well. I didn't know how to talk about it, but I knew how to drink, and and I knew how to fight and to get angry. And uh, it was an amazing thing because I found that one of the things that numbed me out from the pain that I had. Um, was violence mm-hmm. and when I would fight and and the th- crazy thing about it was I, I didn't have to hurt anybody else mm-hmm. I could get that crap beat out of me and and I ended up feeling better mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's totally insane when it's you think about it it's the outside pain man. but it is it's the outside yeah. pain it gets yeah. rid of that pain for a while yeah and I, oh my gosh and so so anyway this is the, the it goes on and on for a long time but I, I the what it, what it takes me back to, there's, there's a quote that I wanted to share, and maybe this will help keep me on track. A quote from uh, Melody Beattie, The Language of, uh, of Letting Go. And uh, she's talking about Patrick Carnes, who's uh, uh, well-known in the recovery community and, and um, uh, as a counselor and therapist and so forth. And he says, um, he says, uh, that uh, the 12 steps are a program for dealing with our losses, a program for dealing with our grief. How do we grieve? Awkwardly, imperfectly, and usually with a great deal of resistance, often with anger and attempts to negotiate, ultimately by surrendering to the pain. And that was the last thing on earth I wanted to do was surrender to the pain. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that in my own way I was surrendering all along because I would just drink and drink and drink. Mm-hmm. And everybody else would be passed out and I'd still be drinking. As long as there was booze around, I would still be drinking. And so uh, I, I ended up having a, a, a profound spiritual experience through all of this stuff. It was really amazing. I got into a, uh, you know, <laughs> into a lot of trouble because of the violence, and and uh, I uh, had someone share 
a different way with me. And it was a, uh, the opportunity to turn my, my life uh, over to God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what happened. And, uh, a whole, uh, and I experienced a whole new life as I turned my life over to God. I didn't understand what that really meant at the time. I said to the pastor at this, uh, at this little service that I was at for young people, I said to him, I was in a lot of trouble, and I just said, maybe I, maybe I should go to AA now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he meant well. He's a good, good man. He really meant well. But he said, no, he said, I don't think you need to go to AA. You know, you've got Jesus now. Mm-hmm. And so for the next uh, 25 years, um, that's what I did. I just went all out for Jesus. And I don't regret any of that other than the fact that I think Jesus was, if I'd have been listening, <laughs> and maybe if the pastor had have been listening, he'd have been saying, Wayne, get your butt to an AA meeting. <laughs> and that's what I think I needed to hear at the time. But anyway, I, uh, so I ended, up, I ended up trying to do so much of it myself. And we were, we were living in, uh, in California, and, and I was pastoring, and I was struggling with something that I, I some people will understand this now, and I understand it now, but, but it's called fear of abandonment. Mm-hmm. And it, it was my core issue. Of course, you know, being adopted and all these things that go along with that. I guess that's just natural that you'd struggle with that. But everywhere I went, even though I, we had some wonderful success in our ministry, my, my dream was to go to California, take my family to California, live in a, in a beautiful home, in a beautiful area, uh, down in Southern California, uh, with a swimming pool and a spa, you know, the whole bit, and uh, uh, make good money, <laughs> you know, have a good living, a good life, and have a wonderful ministry. That was it. I won ministry. I kept telling myself that was really number one, and so we got all of this. It all, it all happened, and uh, and yet I, I was not happy in here. I just didn't have. Um, peace in here, you know. It was so hard to figure out. And so after we'd been down in uh, California for, I guess it was seven years, and uh, we, uh, I ended up having an opportunity to come back uh, to Canada, which I really wanted. I missed, I really missed Canada. Mm-hmm. I really did. I, I, in fact, it got to be, and I think, you know, actually I was grieving for my home country, I really was. That was, I also had the, the fear of abandonment issues um, going on, but I was really grieving for, mm. for Canada. And I read this book by uh, Dr. Reg Bibby from uh, the University of Lethbridge, and it was called Fragmented Gods. I remember reading it, sitting at, a, sitting at the mall. I was at Nathan's Hockey Practice mm. over in Ontario, California. Yeah. And, uh, I, I went over to get a coffee and, and I, I got a book in the bookstore and, and I'm sitting there reading this book and, and uh, it hit me that, uh, you know, this is what, what's going on is that in the United States, it's like a melting pot, you know, it's like a melting pot and, and everybody is expected to become like an, like an American. American. Yeah. You move to the States and you're supposed to all, you know, you forget your culture, you forget a lot of your stuff. And you just melt down. Buy your guns and drink your whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and in Canada, Reg was saying, uh, 
he was saying that we're a mosaic mm. and that we celebrate diversity. And instead of that, that what we're, our goal is, we don't do it all that well sometimes, but our goal is that we want to include everybody. Mm. It's, we're inclusive and we want, we want to celebrate diversity. And, and not and turn it, them into us. Exactly. Yeah. So that you don't have to be like me, thank mm. God. And I don't have to be like you. We, that we could. So anyway, I, I I got that, and I was grieving. I wanted to come back to Canada. I really mm-hmm. did, and so and I'm glad. You know, we we made the move to come back to Canada, but part of it, part of the motivation was the fear of abandonment that these, the folks down there who thought I was so awesome, and that our church was so great, that they were going to find out, that I wasn't so awesome. Mm-hmm. And then inside, you know, really what was going on, I, did, I wouldn't have said it then, but I would now, that I was just a scared little boy, mm. that people were going to discover I was just that little adopted kid that didn't, didn't fit anywhere, mm. you know. That was what was really going on. And so um, we moved back to, to uh, Calgary uh, 29 years ago, and uh, I was at, uh, down at the church. It's been 29 years already. Yeah. 29 years we Holy came back. Smokes. I know, Dave. It's hard to believe. Yeah. It's hard to believe it. Yeah. That means Greg is getting close to 50, actually. That's I know. Like, We're going to have... pretty... Your brother's going to be 50 years old. Yeah. I know. And, I've, and I've been doing the ministry, part of it in my life. I, I've been doing ministry for over 52 years now. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe. Mom and I have been married 52 years. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the, but the, the miracle of the whole, the whole thing, really... I, I was ready for this. I was really ready for it. So I, we came back and uh, uh, started ministry at, at uh, down at Central United Church, right in downtown Calgary. Mm-hmm. And I was invited by a captain over at the Salvation Army to uh, speak at the uh, uh, men's at a men's fellowship thing. I think it was a booths at the Booth Center. Booth Center. Yeah. Was it the Booth in yeah. those days? Yeah. yeah. Harbor Light. Yeah. Harbor Light. Yeah. That's the booth. That's or the booth. Turn into the yeah, booth. Yeah, turn into the booth. And, and so I was invited to speak at the Harbor Light. And that's where my whole, the whole direction of my life was about to change again, a major change. Because I met a guy there who was the director of uh, recovery there, the addiction recovery. And, and I thought, this guy, he can't be Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. There's no way. He, he wasn't so structured like the Salvation Army people. I'm not putting that down, but just he just wasn't. That wasn't he he him. wouldn't wear a uniform, you know, or anything like that. His name was Bill Crossan, mm. and it turned out that he was a he was an old timer. He was an old time AA guy, and he was doing such great work with people in recovery that they had somehow got his name at the Salvation Army, and they hired him in Calgary, mm-hmm. and he had stats. Um, that were uh, superior to all the stats across Canada of um, success of people going through the program when, that he directed, um, staying clean and sober. And so they, they thought the world of him, and I was like surprised because he, he was not typical Salvation Army. But he sensed something in me that he was there the night that I spoke to the guys and asked me to come and sit with him and have a bowl of soup after, after we... Uh, after we had the service, and he said, uh, Wayne, he said, I'd really like to, uh, to get together with you. He said, I'd like to take you out for lunch. And uh, we had just moved back to Calgary, and, and we were you know, downtown. I didn't know my way around downtown. 
So he took me out for, for lunch and, uh, and just began to tell me, he says, I think that um, you're open. Mm-hmm. You're open to change and, and you're open to talking about stuff that a lot of ministers aren't open to talking about. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking and all this. And then lo and behold, you know, how God leads people into your life. It's, it's an amazing thing to me because mom and I were going through some struggles. Part of the whole thing of moving back to Canada and, and some of the financial struggles that we went through because mom had told me, she said, you know, we're, we got to pay all of our bills back in the States in mm-hmm. Canadian dollars, you know. And I knew that, but in my head, but boy, I didn't know what that was going to look like. Yeah. Because we took a real cut in salary going to the, coming to the church here mm-hmm. and, in, and in perks and all that stuff. So anyway, we got into some, some problems. Uh, we did. We struggled in our marriage, and it was a painful time for you guys, mm-hmm. for all of us. I know that. And Mom and I regret that big time. But, but you know, out of all of the pain and, and the struggle... In our, in our marriage, it, it, again, it's like Karn says, it, it, this whole thing is a grief process. And what happened was I ended up really getting into recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I had to when, when Greg, when your brother was, was in his program down in California, mm-hmm. when we were in the program with him, yeah. I had to go through the motions. I had to go to 12-step meetings. I had to do the you know, fourth steps and fifth mm-hmm. steps and all of that stuff. But I didn't really, as Bill called it, uh, Bill Cross, down, I didn't really get down and dirty mm-hmm. with this stuff. And so here I was, uh, and I was thinking, you know what? Through some of the struggles that mom and I were going through, we both had, came to the conclusion that what we really needed to do was to do some recovery work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And... Uh, so, so what we did was we uh, started getting counseling. Mom, mom had some people that she talked to and uh, ended up doing her, her step five with Sister Helen, mm. you know, who is well known here in Calgary. Oh, yeah. And years gone by, she's a great, great lady. Um, she heard thousands of them probably. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a lot thousands of, of lot them. Yeah. Of steps. Yeah. 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 And, and she, mom went to Bill for counseling. Mm. And I and I went to Bill for counseling, but Bill was he was my first sponsor mm-hmm. in AA, and uh, I was blessed. I was blessed because he was he was in your face. He was he was so um, he was so honest, and with with guys, he just had a way of really mm-hmm. really penetrating. You know, <laughs> really kicking my butt, right? But with women, I found out that he was just a great counselor as well, um, but but more but gentler, mm-hmm. gentler. And uh, I used to kid him about that. But Bill and I became uh, best friends. Uh, he was my and, and he was my sponsor, and and he was uh, a wonderful counselor. And that brings me to this: I was doing my step four. That's where this has all been going, Dars. Uh, I was doing my step four. Because <laughs> Darcy's sitting back there going, <laughs> what are we talking uh, what are we about? Go- <laughs> yeah. He keeps looking at us like, it's, it's what's grief. going on? We're talking about grief. That's yeah, <laughs> I'm old. You have to put up with me now that I'm old. 
Oh, I can no. wander all over creation. Did you, you want to say anything? Do, no, gosh, no. <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're willing to listen to you go around in circles. I'm sure everybody out there enjoyed it. Ah, shoot. <laughs> so everything I've said so far is leading to this point. So far. So far. <laughs> so far. I'm not saying about anything else, but so far. So so I had to, I, I was doing step four. And I, I asked Bill Crossan, um, if he would help me with the step four work. Well, it turned out I, I asked the right guy because Bill, uh, Bill really was a, a, an expert mm-hmm. on step four. Mm-hmm. He really was. And um, I, I talked to Bill different times, but he said, well, come on in and we'll really go through things together. So I went into his office. He invited me to come over to the Salvation Army. And I went, to, by the way, I went to Salvation Army for a lot of meetings mm-hmm. almost every day. I went to meetings in the morning with the guys and uh, hung out there. Drank a lot of coffee and smoked a lot of cigarettes. Oh, man, in those days you could, could smoke, smoke in the meetings. It yeah. was something else. And uh, Smokers had their heyday, man. Yeah, we did. Well, we did. We had a heyday. We did in those days, yeah. And then it's gone. It was crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we, we were, we were, we'd been in meetings in the morning. I'd been at a meeting with Bill in the morning, and Bill said, why don't you come back over tonight and, and uh, we'll do a session. You and I'll do a session in my office and then, uh, and then we'll ha- have a bite to eat together uh, with, the other, with the guys. And I said, oh, I'd love to do that. So, so I, went, uh, I went over to meet with Bill. I'm sitting in Bill's office and we're, we're working on step four. And he had, he had such a gift to to ask discerning questions. It was unbelievable. I don't know how he got me to this point, but I, he, he led me, he asked me some questions. And one of the questions, I, I thought about it. I really thought about it. And all of a sudden, it was, it was weird. It was like a, this huge screen came up behind Bill on the wall, uh, like a big movie screen. Mm-hmm. And, and there, was Betty, uh, my mom, and she was she was there, and all of a sudden it was like a like a dam broke, mm-hmm. like a dam broke, and all of this grief that I've been carrying all these years, even in ministry, all these mm-hmm. twenty five years in ministry, you know, because I I mean I came to the conclusion I was a dry drunk pastor, right, and so. All these years of carrying this grief and stuffing it down inside came out. Mm-hmm. And I realized that Betty was the, the key to the whole thing, that I had used that. That was what was jamming everything mm-hmm. down. When she, when she passed. When she died, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, the way she died yeah. and how it affected our whole family and how all that anger was down inside me. Mm-hmm. That I, I really had, I had so much anger. Um, about that loss and about mm-hmm. that grief. And I, uh, so the dam broke and Bill picked up on it right away. And Bill began to, he asked me some other questions. And when we finished up that, that night, and then this is because of the work I was doing on step four. Mm-hmm. And that's where this, these words from Patrick Carnes really hit home because I, I, I think from that day, David, that will, out of that came the Holidays Hurt service mm-hmm. that we did down at Central. Yeah. And that whole emphasis on grief ministry. Mm-hmm. 
Because I'll be honest with you, Dave, before I started doing all that work on grief with Bill, mm-hmm. um, I like like I for days after that, all I did was write and cry. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote I wrote everything out. I, and I just I did my step four. I did so much work, and I cried so much. It was this amazing, um, amazing cleansing that that started in me, mm-hmm. you know, at that time. And um, so I, I start. We started that grief service, and up until that time, like I hardly ever did a funeral. Mm-hmm. I hardly ever did a funeral. I didn't want to do funerals. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it's like for a, for me as a minister going to the hospital. I didn't want to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that was all connected to the time we spent in the hospital, time with people that were dying mm-hmm. uh, of cancer and so forth, time I spent in the hospital from being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, beat up and fractured skulls and concussions and all of that. Okay, one minute, and then we're going to need a break. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we have less than a minute. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will all come back. Uh, please get yourself a drink, use the washroom, whatever you got to do. This grief stuff, you know, it's it's uh, it's not neat. Mm. It's not neat. And I just to pick up where I was, I had a couple of things to remind myself of. Um, because uh, because of the fact that it's not neat, um, it, it, Elizabeth Elliot, um, Elizabeth Kubler rather, Elizabeth Kubler Ross um, talks about the grief process, and she's the most well known, and uh, she's helped so many of us, and she brings out the fact that uh, it, it's really a five stage process, uh, processing grief. And Bill Crossan reminded me of that as we did the, the step four work as well. Uh, it starts with denial, then anger, and then bargaining, then sadness, and finally acceptance. She says, that's how we grieve. That's how we accept. Mm. That's how we forgive. That's how we respond to the many changes that life throws our way. Although this five-step process looks tidy, you know, it looks tidy on paper, and it sounds tidy when you have a five-step process. That's That sounds nice and neat, but boy, it's not tidy in your life. We do not move through it. Uh, this is Melody Beatty. We do not move through it in a compartmentalized manner. We usually flounder through, kicking and screaming with much back and forth movement until we reach that peaceful state called acceptance. When we talk about unfinished business from our past, we're usually referring to losses about which we have not completed grieving. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where I, I left off. Um, you know, in Bill's office, uh, the big screen with my uh, with my my mom, I, my sister growing up, you know, Betty, uh, her her face, and realizing that she was kind of, in a sense, I guess, like a cork. Mm. She was like a cork 
that was blocking off all that work and all mm -hmm. that grief that needed to be mm -hmm. needed to be acknowledged. But but the problem with the whole thing was too that that opened it up. That that was the um, you know the cork blew mm -hmm. uh, like a champagne bottle. Um, the dam burst, you know, and I had all of this grief, and I had no idea mm -hmm. what to do with it. But you know, the, the amazing thing has been for me is that the 12 steps were right there for me. I had the tools. Mm -hmm. And I had this wonderful guy, that my sponsor, Bill, who um, helped me to learn to work those steps. And I discovered that as I worked those steps, and for me at that time, especially, I remember all the work I did with step four and five, you know, um, it, it just was an amazing journey um, processing that grief, learning how to process the grief. Mm -hmm. And so that's where Patrick Karn's words came in for me, uh, Dave, was that I realized that uh, uh, the rest of my, my journey, mm -hmm. that I had these tools yeah. that, I, that I didn't have to do it myself, that I didn't have to do it myself. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had meetings to go to. Uh, boy, we miss those meetings now. Mm -hmm. I know it's, it's hard. And I know that uh, a lot of people are getting help, uh, you know, from streaming and mm -hmm. from meetings that are online. Um, but we miss those days when we could go to meetings, and I miss hugging people. Well, meetings are still there. I miss hugging people. Meetings are still yeah. there. Yeah, but they got the exemptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not the same. It's you not the same. You can't yeah. come in and hug. And, it's it's not yeah. the same. That's yeah. It's you know, it's just not. It's not the same. I know. It's different. And. Uh, I encourage you to, to go anyway and to mm -hmm. do that. But I, I guess for me, I've been so, so thankful to have the tools, um, to have the steps, to work the steps uh, every day of my life uh, in processing the grief because otherwise we keep the grief inside. And we need to be able to talk to people about it. We need to be able to do the work and there's not a day goes by that I don't find myself um, working a step. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it just it just works. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to stop right there. I don't know, Dave, if you have any specific questions you uh, wanted to ask me or no. Actually, I, mean, I just just to carry on with the five stages of like uh, that's what I was taught in school too and all that. Like yeah. And and then when I went and took a program through Wellbriety, um, I. I discovered that one of the reasons why, for me, the five stages were so difficult to grasp is because it makes one think that there's five steps and then you're done. And mm. like I just spoke to someone today about they lost, they lost their grandson to an overdose a few weeks ago. And she said, I, I am now getting closer to acceptance. And then I asked her, I said, do you think that you'll ever go back to denial? And she says, probably not. And I said, probably. I said, mm. this is circular. Like the yeah. part of what I think what sets us yeah. up for that difficulty with grief is that we think it's linear and it's going to stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's still like, I didn't even, I never met your mom, but her death has had an impact on me mm -hmm. and it will impact me forever. And that stuff doesn't end. Like it, what I've experienced with it is it, it just repeats in a circular, circular, circular motion until we learn how to simply accept it, right? Like getting to that final acceptance stage 
of those five stages, mm-hmm. right? It's acceptance, mm-hmm. I think, is the fifth one. Yeah. And that's really what the, the constant repetition of that feeling is. What I didn't realize was previously until probably previous to 10 years ago, like I would say previous to 10 years, I did not know how to grieve mm-hmm. at all. Like I had no, no process for it. I would, like when John passed away, that was the first time I remember really being hit by grief. And what I did then was I drank. Like, because mm-hmm. after John's funeral, I was heartbroken. And I went and I mm-hmm. drank and I used, um, even though John was sober when he passed, like, um, and even though I remember when, when your mom, uh, when your grandma passed, mm-hmm. when our great grandma passed, and I remember those things, but they didn't, because it was so far away, and I was so used to pushing it away mm-hmm. and pushing it and not getting connected to it. It was like when uh, when Brady passed. Mm. When Brady passed was when I really had to learn how to grieve because I knew I couldn't go back to what it was like before. You know, I couldn't go back to drinking and using um, when Tara passed. Like those things happened in the last six years, seven years, however long it's been since Brady. Yeah, yeah. Um, 2016 or no, 2015. No, God, I, it's been so long now. I, I know. can't even remember. I know. But that pain, either. right? Like the, you mentioned it when you were talking about it, like in order to, like one of my close friends this past year took her life uh, by suicide. And it was probably since Tara was probably the first time, Brad actually was the last time I really felt like I needed to lean into mm-hmm. it. Right. And leaning into that meant for me, and this was just what my friend, when I found out my friend had taken her life, I had to lean into it. And it was a few days of leaning into it where I was inconsolable almost. Like I couldn't, I just, mm-hmm. I accepted it. You mentioned the surrender part. Um, and that was what I never wanted to do. I never wanted to surrender to how bad it felt to lose somebody you loved, you know, and Brady and I mean, John started it. He definitely started it, even though I was still using back then. But that started the process of having to lean into it, right? When, when you start to really love people and you don't want to lean into it because you want to go through those five stages, oh boy. right? You want to be in denial. But the truth is leaning into it was the only way to get through it, you know, like the, yeah. the heaviness of it, yeah. you know? Um, and I think for just for, from what working with other people too, which you've done for so long, um, is taking like I don't know how you do it I don't know how you do it because people people probably don't see you bawling when you do a funeral but I ball <laughs> like when it was in, oh, when it's a young person I, I can't help it I don't know what it is about it but even if I didn't know them if there's anything relatable to our family to yeah. me like oh yeah it, it just yeah like this recent one when I, I couldn't stop crying like I just couldn't, yeah. and um, I, I just think it's because there's always grief in there, you know. Yeah. And to talk about for anyone out there, because we were answering some questions while you were in the washroom, um, it's like how do we deal with it in the moment, you know? And mm-hmm. how 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 do you re- when you meet with people? How do you what do you recommend them to do? Mm. Yeah, because you can't tell someone how to do it. No, and I. I when I do some of these services, you know, as I 
still do because mm-hmm. um, I feel it's like a calling you know I, mm-hmm. I want to be there with people and I know that it's God I know that it's mm-hmm. our higher power um, I don't have any <laughs> I don't have any uh, dreams in my head or aspirations that I can fix anybody mm-hmm. you know I uh, it, it takes all my energy just to work on me uh, and that's the tools that's mm-hmm. the tools that I have which I use every mm-hmm. day and uh, but I, I guess for myself Dave I, I feel the same way and and there's times when the tears do come mm-hmm. um, I'm able to somehow uh, usually uh, to kind of hold on to that but pe- I, but sometimes it comes and mm-hmm. it's just people people know yeah. that it's right there right and uh, but I do a lot of crying mm-hmm. <laughs> when I, I I've just got to the point where I don't always do the crying in in front of the people mm-hmm. because I'm because I know once if I lose it it's it's uh, you can't get it back I can't get it back yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what but but I know that, but, but I feel that mm-hmm. I feel the same thing because mm-hmm. and and why would you put yourself in that kind of a position that's what yeah. some people have asked me that what yeah. pastor Wayne why would you why would you put yourself in that kind of a position where you feel that and mm-hmm. you hurt like that right? yeah um, and I wouldn't if I wouldn't if I didn't feel that's where God wanted me yeah. to be. As I started, I, as I mentioned uh, before, um, that I, I used to hate going to the hospitals, mm-hmm. right? The smells, the feeling, the, the people, the, the, it just connected me with all that past mm-hmm. history of people dying, you know? And then doing funerals, I, I mean, I did not do a funeral. I didn't go out of my way to do a funeral, believe me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't do a funeral um, unless it was somebody that uh, that asked for me or that mm-hmm. knew me or whatever, or that I knew or and helped out with the family. I didn't do a lot of funerals. That's the truth of it. Mm-hmm. And then when we when we came back here, and I was working on uh, step four with Bill, mm-hmm. it was at the same time, the very same time, that uh, I was asked to do a funeral. Um, for a little baby mm. that was, um, um, oh gosh, it was, I still remember. Mm. They, they called her Baby Jane Doe, mm. and she was uh, found in a garbage bin. Mm. And um, the, the sadness of the people that, that reached out and the agencies that reached out. Mm. And I was asked to do the service. And so I, I said I would, you know. And, um, it was on the media, you know, it was on TV and all this stuff. They didn't have that part of it, um, the service on the, on the TV thing. Thank God. God. Thank God is right. They were trying to get the, you know, the mother, the family, somebody to come forward. And um, so I, I remember I, I had, I, I talked to Bill about it. I talked to Pastor Michael about mm-hmm. it. And I, I had everything all laid out that I was going to do. For the service, right? Because I was nervous. Mm-hmm. It was the first one like service like that that I'd ever done, and uh, had it all laid out. And then uh, I, I went to do the service, and and Michael had said to me, he said, Wayne, the biggest thing is the most important thing is just be yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I connected because what had happened was at the very same time. I just thought of this now, David. At the very same time. I had been invited to speak 
at a, a survivors of suicide mm. candlelight service. And uh, this is, <laughs> I don't even know why they invited me. Uh, someone must have heard something in a meeting that I shared or whatever about Bill helping me to come to, um, to connect with the death mm -hmm. of my mom. Um, and I was a suicide survivor, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, all this stuff was happening and my recovery had sta mm -hmm. really started, it really kicked into gear. Yeah. And um, so I did this little baby service and I, and I decided I'm going to do just exactly what, what Michael had said and what Bill had said mm -hmm. and just be myself. And I shared from my heart. Mm -hmm. And there was something that happened in that service, a yeah. connection. There was a lot of people there. There was mm -hmm. people from umpteen agents. And the mm -hmm. funeral chapel was pretty much packed yeah. for that little baby. And we all went to the cemetery mm -hmm. and did the burial and everything. And I made a connection with a lot of people. But the grief is that a, there's, there's a connection that we all have, those of us who have lost loved ones. Um, I thank God I haven't lost a child. Uh, came awful close, mm -hmm. you and your older brother. Yeah, probably a couple times. <laughs> but thank God. Probably a few times you don't know thank about. Thank God at this point <laughs> in time, we, we haven't lost a child and I haven't lost a spouse. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's the other thing too I wanted to mention. Um, I, I really grieved when, uh, when Marilyn and I um, went through that, that time in our lives where it was so, we were so close to losing mm. what we had. And we've been, we've been, I thank God for this, we've been married 52 years now. Wow. That's all, that 52 years, you know. It's almost and, as long uh, as Greg's been alive. We're we're going. Yeah, that's right. I'm just kidding. We're we're go, we're going for the sixty years. That's right the on. next goal, right? And so, uh, and then after that, it'll we'll go for another. You know, uh, it's it's amazing, really. But but we just about lost what we had, mm -hmm. and uh, if it hadn't been for Bill, mm -hmm. if it hadn't been for his wise counsel and and our willingness to listen. Mm -hmm. If it hadn't have been for people like Sister Helen mm -hmm. that were there, you know, for, for mom and oh my gosh, that the grief in my heart over that, um, over almost, and that was almost losing our marriage. Mm -hmm. So if, folks, if you've been in a relationship and you, you, you've lost that, you, you, you've had a breakup in your marriage, mm -hmm. and I, it, I, I just, you know, not to preach at anybody, but we need to grieve these things because mm -hmm. they are legitimate losses. Yeah. And, and I think we go through this same kind of a process mm -hmm. to moving to acceptance. And I don't know that there's, there's ever been a more um, effective uh, way to move to acceptance mm -hmm. than the serenity prayer. Yeah. I pray that <laughs> serenity prayer, you know, I don't know, I can't even count how many times a day I pray yeah. that prayer, right? God, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. That is wisdom. That is the most, you know, wow. Mm -hmm. and, and that prayer, you know, it, it's, I know for some people, it, it, you know, uh, oh, that's too simple. That's just, but you know, the more you pray that prayer, the more it becomes embedded in your spirit, you know, and the more you can see the depth of it. The, the more you can see the yeah. depth of it. 
The, that's right, Dave. The words the more, are simple. The, the words are simple. Yeah. But the more you can see the depth yeah. of it. And this whole recovery journey mm-hmm. that we're on, these these steps, I'm not I'm not just saying that um, about working the steps. Mm-hmm. The, it, this is a lifelong process. I've had people get mad at me for saying that. Mm-hmm. Actually get very mad at me uh, over the years who said, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. Yeah, welcome to the club. But at this point in time, I, I'm, I'm kind of like one of those nutballs, I guess, that it says, well, you know, now I've got to the point where I don't mind doing the rest of my life because it works. Well, and you'd it rather works. do that than be in the dark. I'd rather do that right? than be in the dark. Yeah. I'd rather do that than, than close up the dam again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hold all that stuff, hold all that stuff inside me, you know. Yeah. That's, I, I, to go back to that, where I couldn't share, mm-hmm. uh, where I couldn't share my feelings, where I couldn't talk to people, yeah. where I didn't have the tools to work, you know? Yeah. Um, I think of all the readings that I do every day, and uh, this, there's a spirit of prayer that comes with that, you know? The meditation and, and, mm-hmm. and the prayer, you know? Listening to God, meditation, um, and prayer. You know, talking to God, sharing your heart with God. However you do it is that's mm-hmm. the, however you do it. The, sometimes the most, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sometimes the most, the most effective prayer that I've ever shared is help, mm-hmm. help. God knows I'm talking to Him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> help, you know, and knowing your higher power, you don't have to come at it with all of the religious stuff and. Religiosity, it's just not like that at all. Um, I've just discovered the difference Mm -hmm. since I got into recovery between spirituality and religion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, religion. Huge difference. Huge difference. difference. There's no religion. You know, I had become become a religious addict. That's Mm -hmm. what I was, Um, a religious addict. I'm, I'm a recovering religious addict. Number one, I guess. Well, not number one, but anyway, close. It's right in there. Um, because I, I substituted religion um, where I used to use, um, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, mm-hmm. violence. I, I mm-hmm. substituted religion. It, it kept me out of jail. Mm-hmm. And I'm really thankful for that. And it got me, uh, it got me a real glimpse of my my higher powers, unconditional love, big time, and so I'm I'm really thankful for that. Well, and it I, brought you to spirituality. Well, it so. brought me to spirituality. Yeah, it did. Even though through, it, you know, even through rebellion, mm-hmm. it, it brought me, as Scott Peck says, you know, to to experience real spirituality mm-hmm. in my life. And it, and and I I believe the, that the essence of my spirituality is love, mm-hmm. unconditional love, and so if I I don't have to get hung up on on uh, on religion, mm-hmm. on rules and rights and regulations and mm-hmm. rituals, it's all about relationship. Yeah, and that's what love looks like. Mm-hmm. Love is love looks like a relationship. Yeah, you know, unconditional love. So absolutely, and mm-hmm. and I just wanted to also talk about the steps and and how effective, even if it's not the twelve steps, or you're doing something to un to unravel yourself, right? In, during that process, you might not experience all the positive emotions that you think are going to be there. They might not come till later. 
because it's hard work, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're, we talk about it because we do it regularly, yeah. right? So yeah. to me, it seems like second, second nature that I'm going to do a step four and five every year. Yeah. But I, I believe that doing it every year, as much as it is painful, and it is painful, without question, every year, it, it has allowed me to be more connected to my grief. Like, there's mm -hmm. no question. Because I've done it mm -hmm. every year now for about six years. That's great. And it has, six or seven years, and it has definitely changed my perspective on death and dying mm -hmm. and loss in general. Mm -hmm. Like, the the idea of, I couldn't, rem I couldn't believe how pent up I was when it came to grief. Like, how out of touch I was with my own grief until I started going through the steps and regularly seeing these things that were jumping out at me that grief was literally motivating me to make these choices mm. and a fear of loss mm -hmm. right the, that fear of abandonment yeah taken even further into a fear of loss the fact yeah. that anything good comes I think I'm gonna lose it yeah right yeah. and because I don't deserve it yeah and that of course that is fear of abandonment big time For sure yeah. it is. that's right and You're... then so so work on the steps is not easy it's not uh -huh. it's hard but the alternative is I don't know what I'm gonna do yeah. Right. I don't know when it's going to come out. I don't know when it's going to blow up. And I've lived both sides in sobriety. I've lived with not talking about anything and being miserable in sobriety. But I was only miserable um, as far as you could tell. <laughs> as far as the rest of the time, I was fine. Right. But I was living in misery because that pain was just getting pushed down, pushed down and pushed down. To the point mm -hmm. where now that I like regularly working with people, of course, and working the steps, the doesn't have a chance to get pushed down as far. Yeah. So when I'm starting yeah. to do the writing, um, but again, it's hard. I've even had old timers. I don't. I can't remember. I won't say their names, but I've had a couple old timers absolutely condemn the fact that I do my steps every year. And the reality is, though, I don't want to become the old timer who doesn't realize they're a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to mm. be able to <laughs> deal with those things that are most likely to make me an effing a-hole by the time I'm 60, mm. right? I want to have that open so that I'm not wanting to swallow whatever thing might end my life, mm. right? Like, I don't want to, and I've already been on the other side where, you, where it's pushing me, the grief starts pushing towards ending your life mm -hmm. right and and having been there not just grief but problems pain whatever it is even though most of my pain stems from grief mm -hmm. right whether it was as a kid losing innocence or growing up and losing more innocence uh, like whatever it was um, yeah I just think it's so important to what you're talking about in terms of the mm -hmm. actual physical work you yeah. know that we need to do to get through this stuff as yeah awful as that work might seem right like at, at the time nobody wants to register that floor really I, I guess the the thing is when it comes to grief uh, some people have the idea that you know like you've heard it those of you who are, who are grieving or have been through grief uh, or are in grief I don't know if you ever I don't know if you ever get through grief mm -hmm. I don't you know it's like when I was in seminary and and uh, college the um, in pastoral care, we talked about closure. Mm. You know, yeah. uh, there was a lot of emphasis on closure, mm -hmm. on helping people get to closure. 
you know, I've come to the conclusion now mm -hmm. that there's no such thing, that there really isn't such a thing as closure, mm -hmm. that it's, uh, and that our higher power never intended for us to ever experience closure. Um, I think that, that there's healing, mm -hmm. there's ongoing healing. Um, when the holidays hurt, right? Mm -hmm. We had a healing service to yeah. help that healing along. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean that you were you were all healed. Yeah, and it, it was, was all behind you. That you felt great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it but it gave you hope mm -hmm. that you know what I can go. I can take one more step. There's I can do one more day. I can pray the Serenity Prayer one more time. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I can do this, like I guess the one of the keys for this whole working the steps program for me has just been that whole day whole idea that you know Wayne if you can do this for one day mm -hmm. yeah. just do it today yeah and let tomorrow take care of itself and yeah. it will yeah. it is amazing to me that uh, like I I'm no super saint or super spiritual mm -hmm. type of person but I I've come to that place where like it's one day at a time literally mm -hmm. one day at a time and I just keep doing the work and, and I realized that um, somehow I was, before, I was waiting for some magic wand to be mm -hmm. waved, right? I was waiting for a special delivery letter to come mm -hmm. in the mail. And say it was literally, okay for you to stop. Literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that everything, oh yeah, that's the, the magic. Mm -hmm. the, the, there's no magic dust mm -hmm. to sprinkle. There isn't. There's mm -hmm. only doing the work. And I... Uh, Are we taking a break? Yeah, I was just going to hit one. Okay. So, so the, the thing to me that is so amazing about this is that, that that work, it's essential to do the work, mm -hmm. but the reality is the promises, you know, like mm -hmm. in the big book, the promises, those promises will all come true. Yeah, in some they way, will. shape, or form. And it's yeah. not magic. No. It's not because of magic. It's because of work. It's because of work. Yeah. It's because we're doing the work. Yeah. It's not, you know, I used to, like I said before, I, I was waiting for this special delivery letter to come from mm. God, telling me that, oh yeah, it was all looked after and that all my dreams were going to come true mm. and I was going to be this super spiritual guy and I wouldn't have temptation anymore. I wouldn't struggle. I wouldn't lust. I wouldn't. You know, levitate I, I was, and shit. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that everything was <laughs> was wonderful. Everything was wonderful, yeah. and it never happened. <laughs> it never happened. And I was in a, a my, one of my first AA meetings. Bill Cross and got me going to some. Well, I, I mean, I went to AA meetings before um, when we were trying to be there for our oldest son. I went to AA meetings, but the, and they weren't hardcore though. They were Southern California AA meetings, and they were not in. There's a there's a different. <laughs> well, it depends on where I, you go. I don't want to be negative. California yeah, there's some hardcore ones down there I've too. I've been to some good ones. But down we there. were in it. Yeah. But we lived. You see, we were in L.A. County, but we were only just a county line away from Orange County. Mm -hmm. And in Orange County, um, in Brea, in Orange County, we had some pretty. Uh, lightweight except i'll just put it that way anyway and i didn't want to get into it anyway mm -hmm. i didn't want anything that was going to really get down inside yeah. me because i didn't need to be there i i didn't need to be in a meeting mm -hmm. i i went to a 
I've told that story, Dave. That you were there for Greg. I was there for Greg. Yeah, yeah. And I went to this AA meeting. I had to. I had to go to a meeting before I could go to the program that uh, our son was in, and I had to get a meeting in, or or they'd stand me up literally, uh, and and, and embarrass you, and embarrass shame everybody, you. Yeah, yeah, and the family, especially me, <laughs> shame the whole family into going to meetings. Yeah. So, so I I ended up having to go to a meeting, and and the only one I could get to before I went to the to the program was uh, was at a, uh, a psychiatric facility in mm -hmm. Brea and uh, it was a, a meeting you know and it was it was all locked down and so I I had to get go in for the meeting and just after um, he finished his saying there wasn't very many hardcore meetings <laughs> yeah, around there. this was this was like the you don't get I should have gone hardcore. I never did go back yeah. though <laughs> I never went back. Yeah, that's about as harsh course. Yeah, got. but the truth was, the truth was in that meeting. It, it was like I went in there, and my ego was just, mm. uh, you know, I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm working on my PhD, mm -hmm. and they're talking, and the step was step two. You know, came to believe in a power greater than myself who could restore me to sanity, and I'm in a room with a bunch of people that are patients in their gowns and mm -hmm. all of that, uh, in. <laughs> In a psychiatric center, you know, oh my ego was so awful. It's amazing what alcohol does, though. It puts us ego, all oh, in the same place, oh, man. right? And and this, this these people were sharing, and see, higher power was trying to break through in my mm -hmm. life, and show me what an egotistical prick I was, mm -hmm. and uh, and and it happened. It started there anyway. There was a there was a seed planted because this. This gal was talking about it, and, I, and here I was thinking that I was the sanest person in the room, mm. you know. And I came out of that meeting feeling like I was the most insane person of anybody in the room, yeah. you know. And of course, it wasn't until I got Bill uh, in my life that it that it really mm -hmm. you know came home. That's a, it's an amazing thing, all of this. But it, and it's it, the grief part of it, you know. When I when I think about um, where I was with uh, with Bill Crossan in those early days, I never would have dreamt that I could learn so much from other people mm -hmm. and from people that didn't even have like a theological education mm -hmm. or a psychological education, or but that I've learned so much from just regular people, and mm -hmm. I and I realized I want to be, uh, and I am a regular people, mm -hmm. you know. It's, um, but we have, that's something we have in common. Mm -hmm. All of us hurt the same. Yeah. And, and we look for the same solutions when we hurt. Same solutions. Yeah. yeah. And, and all of us can begin to heal mm. in similar ways, right? Yes. I, I always tell people, you know, everybody grieves differently. And, and in some ways that's true. But in other ways, maybe, maybe it's not so true. Maybe yeah. Because... I think all of us, you know, whatever whatever the loss is mm -hmm. in your life or or in my life, um, whatever that loss is, I think that love is the answer. Mm -hmm. I think that unconditional love, which is the very heart of uh, our higher power, mm -hmm. um, that that love will will take you through. Yeah, you know, will take us through. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Ask the question? Sure. Uh, is there groups for grief support? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
There are, yeah. Dar that's a great question, Darcy. You know, Darcy, the, the best, I, I came across, that's a really good question. The, the best program I've ever seen for, for grief, for people especially losing a, a person, losing a loved one, right? Uh, they also have groups for people that are going through divorce, specialized mm -hmm. groups for people who've lost a child and that. But Rocky View Hospital here in mm -hmm. Calgary uh, has one of the most amazing uh, organizations there to grief support. Mm -hmm. And it was started by a, by a minister named Reverend Bob Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And Bob still does work. After all these years, Bob still does grief work and grief counseling uh, over at the old children's hospital. He <laughs> retired from Rocky View. He was a chaplain there and a and mm -hmm. guy that initiated and that he's touched, Bob Glasgow has touched more people. There's so many of us that have had, have been touched emotionally by him. Emotionally touched, well. Yeah, emotionally, yeah, yeah, yeah. emotionally touched. <laughs> Sometimes though on this podcast, I go pretty crazy about the church touching people. Uh, yeah, That's yeah. That's why I'm making sure. Yeah, not that kind of touch. <laughs> to point that yeah. out. Yeah, he is really impacted. That's mm -hmm. what I'll say, impacted. He's impacted so many of us. So there are organizations mm -hmm. uh, that are doing that kind of work. And if you're interested, uh, AHS, go through the Alberta Health Services website, look for grief support. And, yeah. and whatever support you're actually looking for, you can probably find it there. I'm not suggesting that it's easy to become a part of the groups. I don't really know what their criteria is. But if you're interested enough, you could easily uh, look into it through AHS. Yeah. Good and question, if, Jersey. And if there's a... Um... Uh, if you've been connected with a funeral home mm -hmm. uh, through your loss, um, they'll have information for you, sometimes even mm -hmm. brochures uh, on some of these different organizations that are out there. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point, the funeral homes. Very good question, Darcy. Yeah. So um, I think just like just to finish it up on my end anyway, um, to, to put a point on it, I used to want to forget. Like I used to want to forget the person. I used to want to forget mm. the pain. I used to want to forget. And then I realized that just because someone passed away doesn't mm. mean they did anything wrong. So like in my mind for a long time, I had it in my head that, and I know this is going to sound really stupid, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway, because I appreciate looking stupid. Um, <laughs> but for the longest time, I, I, I actually thought it would just go away, right? And I could just leave it, in, leave it behind me in that, actually grieving for for someone meant that you were weak somehow and the mm -hmm. the complete opposite has been proven true to me through the last few years and i probably about 10 years or so that i've been doing funerals maybe eight or ten years that mm -hmm. i've done them not as much not as many as you pop but um they have they're probably the hardest thing for me to do well they are the hardest thing for me to do um uh, because I look at it like um, now, today I look at it because of the work that I've done, I look at it like death is such a natural part of life, right? And it's not something to be afraid of. And it doesn't only happen to people who live improperly. Mm. <laughs> but for the longest time, and this is gonna sound ridiculous, I thought that you could probably, somewhere in my brain, I thought I could live forever if <coughs> I just did everything right, right? <laughs> and the reality is none of us live forever as of yet we all are going to probably die, right? Mm. And all the people that we've known will probably die. And so this has been 
not to make it callous, but to actually allow me to, to embrace that pain and lean into the pain and accept the fact that, and thank God, thank God it's happening at this time. I'm not suggesting it makes people dying any easier because literally when, my, when I found out my friend took her life at this past summer, I was, this was only a few months ago and completely incapable of doing anything. Like, but today I find that I, I notice more that I've, I've allowed the pain, I guess, more because now I feel like I'm walking with Brady. I'm walking with mm. John. Mm. Like I'm not just walking alone. I'm walking with Betty because the more I learn about your mom, the more I learn we were probably very similar. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, just the way we seem to cope with things yeah. for, for a period of time. Um, but not to mention the fact that she's my grandmother, mm -hmm. right? Um, but those, so now I feel like I, and I probably from listening to and reading different books about it, because um, the, the people from the East, I've noticed there's an Eastern philosophy that's much more gentle about death, like mm -hmm. much more accepting about it. Um, and it, it seems to open the doorway to it to allow for that, to be able to carry grandma, to be able to carry great grandma, to mm -hmm. be able to carry grandma and grandpa, mom's mom and dad, and then whoever else to be able to carry them with us when we go um, walking in life, yeah. right? And I'd much rather be carrying them and see them because then I'm able to use what they've taught me. Yeah. You know, like what, what, what I've been taught by those beautiful souls like Brady you know, mm -hmm. and the beautiful souls like Tara that were able to, no matter what she went through, she always showed people love. No matter how sick she was, she would still give you her last dollar, mm -hmm. right? Like no matter mm -hmm. how broke, no matter how. Um, and I got into a conversation with Dominic the other day, last week, I guess we were at lunch and we were talking about this because there's been a lot of loss lately and Dom feels it, I feel it and, um, we were just talking about how at some point in life, people just started dying more regularly. And uh, for me, it's because of recovery. Like I'm in, we're in the recovery, that's, that's my life. So people in recovery the last few years have died regularly. Mm -hmm. And there's so many that have passed and I, I wish I could remember all of their names. Like I really do um, because there's so many and they're all important to somebody, right? And all important. Um, to the overall re recovery community. Um, but the idea is just to allow it, I guess what's changed by doing the work, maybe dad, and I'm totally rambling now, but I get that from you. So I, <laughs> I'm sure you can accept that. Sure, blame it on me. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta blame it on somebody when I'm in the middle of a torrential like, ramble, right? Um, but the, the ability just to show love and that's what carrying those people with me has allowed me to do is show more love because I've learned most more from other people than I ever would have learned on my own. Mm -hmm. Like other people, how they grieve, how they love, um, like you and mom, the, oh, that's what it was. Dom, Dom asked about doing it, doing the funerals, right? Because this last funeral just about, it, it knocked my ass out. Like it just, mm -hmm. the day after the funeral for this young fella, I was crying, I was vomiting, like I was literally mm. having this really intense mm. reaction to, to this young fellow's passing and to being with his family, of yeah. course, because that, that yeah. can't help it. Um, but he got, so I think it was, 
you mentioned it earlier about people wondering why you would do it, why you would mm -hmm. put yourself there. And mm -hmm. so Dom asked me and I said, I said, honestly, Dom, when I sobered up, after a few years went by when I sobered up, I figured out my philosophy and it just made sense to me. It was, if I can do it physically, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, then I can't. Mm. Right. And so trust me, I said, Dom, when they, when I got asked about this service, there was a part of me that was like, you're busy. Mm. Right. But then of course, because yeah. I want to be honest and I want to get better. The reality was I wasn't that busy that day. Mm -hmm. I could do it. And, but the trouble is for me anyway, I don't know what it's like for you, dad. Once I accept a, a agree to do a funeral, especially when it's a young person, when it's not natural and it's not what we hope for that person. Um, I, I'm out of it for a week before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, how, I don't know how you deal with that. And maybe we don't have enough time to even talk about it, but. Well, I just going back to what you were saying a, a moment ago uh, about keeping those people mm -hmm. in your heart that, that just, that's the way I feel about it now. I, this whole thing with closure that mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. I, I, I just try to encourage people to realize that no light that is born in love can ever be put out. Mm. It can never be extinguished. Mm. No light that is born in love can, can ever, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And so uh, forgetting. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I guess closure, um, closure reminded me of uh, forgetting. Trying to forget, yeah. Trying to forget. Yeah, me too. And I, I don't encourage people to try to forget at mm -hmm. all. Remembering is how we heal. Mm -hmm. Remembering. Yeah. The, the wonderful things that you just spoke about, with, mm -hmm. like with Tara. Yeah. You know, those things that we focus on. When I think of Betty, when, when I feel my heart rejoices. Mm -hmm. She was the, she was such a good person. Yeah. She, she, you know, she made mistakes, um, just like anybody else, but she was the most wonderful person mm -hmm. and she brought so much joy to my life when yeah. I was young. Um, you know, I didn't know she was my mom. Yeah. She was this big sister, but I can remember her one time at Halloween. I was sick at Halloween and, uh, she, <laughs> I was a little kid and, uh, I was in my pajamas in the house because I couldn't go out for Halloween and everybody else went out, right? And here, the, there's a knock at the door, you know, Halloween apples or whatever. And, and I can still remember this. Betty had a mask on. She was standing mm -hmm. at the door and she was out Halloweening for me. Oh. Getting candy and stuff yeah. for me, right? Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't see, I looked at her. I would never have known it was her, mm -hmm. with, her with the mask on and everything she had. But I recognized, <laughs> I recognized her pedal pushers, her feet, her she, shoes. and her shoes. She had these. She had this old style slip-on shoe that they used to wear, uh, that you know, penny loafers, mm. penny loafers. Okay. So they were, and I said, Betty, and I remember. Oh, I just laughed. I laughed, and she, she was just so excited <laughs> to be able to see me. And, yeah. uh, but that was the kind of like I don't ever want to forget those mm -hmm. things. And I, I, my heart breaks when I think of the of the night that she died, mm -hmm. and uh, the kids, you know, the uh, Jimmy and Duncan and Lois, you mm -hmm. know, her, her children, and and uh, 
uh, oh gosh, you know, gathering at mom and dad's house. At, uh, it was it was awful, and those kind of things I don't need to focus. I don't mm. really need to focus on anymore. But I focus on all the wonderful memories that we mm. had of what a good person she was, what a yeah. loving person, what yeah. a caring person. You know, those those people live on mm -hmm. in us I agree. and through us. And I I guess I'm I'm one of those people too that also believes that uh, that this this isn't all there is, mm -hmm. right? I I don't have all the answers. I just think of that. There's a gospel song called "I Can Only Imagine," but I can mm -hmm. only imagine what it must be like to be set free into the fullness of our Creator's unconditional love, mm -hmm. acceptance, and forgiveness. I can only imagine what it must be like to soar, yeah. to mount up with wings like an eagle, <laughs> and to soar yeah. to the fullness of that love. That's yeah. pretty cool. Well, I think we'll close there unless there's anything else, because that seemed no. like a pretty good note to close on. And um, from my family to all of yours, like, may you just have like as restful and peaceful a time yeah. as you can. Uh, and if you're if you're struggling and you need help, please reach out. Um, you can reach out to us through the. You can DM us on Facebook. You can email us um, if there's anything you need, even if it's just to talk to somebody. So we love you. Take very good care. Dad, go ahead. Love ya.